Warning. What follows is a story of monsters, madness, and mayhem. I'm Nick. I'm Zach. Welcome to Weird and Feared, a barely educational podcast about global folklore that aims to enlighten, entertain, and expand your world. Revolution. There's been a there's been a lot of talk of it lately. Yeah. Well, I mean, in varying degrees of what different people may constitute a revolution. That's true. Uh, you know, or maybe revolution more so in regards to a, you know, potential oncoming or already ongoing second American Civil War. Just, just throwing thoughts out there. That's all I'm doing. It's just, huh? Just, you know. I mean, yeah, it's intense right out of the gate, but that's how we're playing it tonight. So. Yeah, that's pretty intense. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I laugh to hold back the tears. That's how we approach that. Now, uh-huh. this statistic was taken from a 2018 Rasmussen poll, and it claimed 31 percent of potential voters believed a second American Civil War could happen within five years. Wow. Okay. And eleven um, percent of them said that it was very likely. So, I can only imagine hmm. the stats are the stats are worse now. But yeah. I I uh, I couldn't find a more recent poll, and honestly, I you know I, I hate polls. I mean they're yeah. they're, they're basically useless. Yeah, it's like I it's mean, like yeah. Because, yeah, I mean it depends on where you ask. It's so many things. They're just wrong this, or yeah. skewed. This one was online and like phone calls, and it was like a thousand people. Now I don't know about you, but that seems like not enough people to decide if Second Civil War is coming. Personally, <laughs> no, I don't think but, so. But uh, you know, yeah. So, but it's something to talk about. So I'm throwing that in there. But I mean, it kind of pisses me off. But I mean, the stats are also pretty similar um, in the second year. Of the previous administration. So people have been mulling around like this kind of bullshit for, I mean, obviously, this all, I mean, if you've been paying attention to the earth, you there's inklings of things that are afoot. We'll just put that mildly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. The point is, discussing this concept, a second American Civil War is no longer a fringe idea. Depressing. But here we are. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what would that look like? Don't worry. Don't just slow down. Don't think about it. We're not getting into that tonight. We're not doing it. That's okay. Good. This isn't this isn't the podcast for this. We're not doing that. Good. I'm not nope. I just you know just kind of kind of come along with me on this little mini journey for a second. All right. All right. So so we're not going to discuss the Second American Civil War on this podcast, but. Um, Current event-wise, and this matters to what I'm going to get into, you know, the current president did threaten to deploy American soldiers against American citizens, you know, during he, the ongoing he, protests. He did do that, didn't he? Yeah. 
But yeah, the protests and riots over the murder of George Floyd by Minneapolis police. And, uh, but thankfully, when, this, um, when the president had this cool idea, the military gave him significant pushback on his yeah. terrible idea. Mm-hmm. All right, but that brings us to this little, this little ditty. American soldiers deployed on Americans on American soil. The country has been here before. A couple times, really. But now, mm-hmm. I, pro- now I promise there is a supernatural story in here. I promise, I promise, I promise. Okay. Because that's what we do here. Okay. Okay, that's what we do mm-hmm. here. All right. But first, let's get into the story of how one of these deployments shaped the foundation of this nation's very seat of power. Okay. All right. All right. So, now, you may be familiar with this. From 1775 to 1783, war raged across 13 little colonies. You might I've heard about that. Yeah, you might know about them. An ocean away bit. from the empire that ruled them. Now, some people actually consider this the first American Civil War because, you know, the colonies seceded from Great Britain. But mm-hmm. let's let's be I mean, that was of course a little domestic squabble within a within a nation. But, I mean, let's be honest here. That's the American Revolution. Let's not pull any punches about that. Mm-hmm. Or the Independence War. War of Independence. American Independence. Now, what it's called also has a lot to do with the fact that the colonies did, in fact, win that war. That's true. If we would have lost, it probably would have been called something else. Yeah, the... Uh, yeah, the in, the American insurrection, I bet. And then as everybody's... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. As TJ yeah. and George Washington were just shot and gunned down and hung in the streets of wherever they yeah. found them. and For being insurgents. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, being, <laughs> being, you know... Yep. We'll, we'll stick with insurgents. We'll use that term. There's a few other ones that you could use. Pick There's your, a lot, but pick, we'll pick, just go with that one. Pick it's your been point. used a lot lately. It really, it really has... All right, but yeah, so that was a revolution. But revolutions and war aren't free, even if and especially if you win. They cost money. And again, mm-hmm. this was a war. And well, wars are fought by soldiers. And soldiers, they want to get paid. Typically, yes. It's a job. Mm-hmm. You help found a nation. Kind of want to get, you know, some. Besides your freedom. Oh, man, what if that was the excuse they gave? We need money. You got your freedom. That's enough. Yeah. No, no, it's not. <laughs> what? Nope. Wasn't this whole tax thing the problem? Wasn't this whole thing about fucking money? Can I have some? <laughs> All right. Well, on June 17th, 1783. Congress was delivered a message from the Continental Army saying as much. These soldiers stationed in Philadelphia wanted their money. Otherwise, they would be forced to take action. Now, when would they take action if if Congress failed to answer their pleas? How soon after issuing them were they going to initiate um, whatever their actions may be? How long do you, yeah, what do you think? How much time would pass? I don't know, a week or two? That very same day, 
Oof. So we are not screwing around here. Yeah. No, they uh, they want it now. Yeah. So did Congress acknowledge this request? I mean, I'm going to ask you because that's how I set this up. But I think we can kind of assume whether or not they acknowledge this. I'm going to go with no. Yeah, is Congress just going to give out money to just normal people? (laughs) (laughs) Huh, interesting. (laughs) No, they did not acknowledge this request. So then, what did these soldiers do? What was that action they spoke of? I mean, they do what soldiers do, and they grab their guns? Nothing. They did nothing. Yeah. Oh, well, interesting. That day they did nothing. Now, no. okay. two day, two days later, on the other hand, eighty soldiers traveled from Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and joined up with the soldiers stationed at Philadelphia, which at the time was serving as the young nation's capital city. The now five hundred men had control of the city's weapons stores and munitions depot. How do you feel about this? I mean, I'm okay with them controlling that stuff i think you know they were probably were meant to control it anyways right but get paid to do so right you know <laughs> i mean how, how much do you like going to work and not getting paid oh i do you like don't it don't do that is it fun no. <laughs> yeah no yeah you don't it's weird weird that you wouldn't like that strange you just don't go in because it's a joy it's just a no. fun <laughs> no and i like my job <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, 400 men marched on the Philadelphia State House, surrounding and barricading the delegates inside said Philadelphia State House, which Congress had been sharing with the Philadelphia legislature. So it's like, you know, they're like doubling up. Congress and, mm-hmm. you know, Philly's leadership all in the same building. Now, founding father and New York delegate Alexander Hamilton perhaps charming the soldiers with a song or an educational musical act, whatever he chose to do at this time, convinced the mob to let them leave, and he promised they would reconvene later in the day to address their concerns. You know that whole wanting money for services rendered thing. Now, mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, these guys did just liberate a nation, like we were talking about. Money, again, mm. would be nice. Yeah. So, hope, you know... Hoping this would get them their money faster, the soldiers let them adjourn peacefully that afternoon. So they let them out. All right. Well, that night, Congress reconvened and wrote a message to the Supreme Executive Council of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Do you like that title? Hmm. Yeah, it's uh, pretty intense. Supreme Executive Council of the Commonwealth of the com- of the com yes huh. Supreme Executive Council of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Now I didn't look to see if it's still called this, but I assume it probably is because they why would they you know what I mean like it's just a thing maybe I don't know. Hmm. But again, this is back in the time when everybody had time to waste, so why not say eight words in one sentence? It's, I mean, or I mean, one, you could, one label. You could really you could bring it down in, into a acronym of sorts and call it sexy. Oh, I like that. Makes it a little sexier. Yeah, right? se- oh, easier to say. Oh, <laughs> sexy Philly. Oh, Ooh, sexy yeah. Philly. Interesting, because yeah. that's what mm. when people think sexy, they think Philadelphia. <laughs> yep. 
Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, so that night, Congress reconvened, and they wrote a message, of course, to Sexy, which, by the way, again, yeah, one hell of a title. Um, so they they asked the council to protect Congress from the mutineers. They were a little concerned. If Pennsylvania refused, they tried to extort the city. Uh, Congress said they would have to leave the city. So they were like leveraging, like, do you want to be the nation's capital or not? We're going to leave if you don't protect us. Which, I mean, mm-hmm. to, be, to, to be fair on Congress's behalf, there's 400 people surrounding them. So, like, <laughs> maybe, uh-huh. being, maybe being protected is a good idea. All right, so what did Pennsylvania do? Uh, told them to protect themselves. That's not a not a bad idea. Now, Congress only controlled the American military during war. Otherwise, they relied on local state militias to enforce the law. And either Pennsylvania thought the state militia would not protect Congress from their fellow soldiers, you know, because they're brothers in arms. Um, Pennsylvania didn't think the crisis was as severe as Congress claimed. And they were overreacting, even though they were surrounded in a building with people with guns. Um, the, yeah, but they're like, but they want those guys, though, not yeah, us. Yeah, so like, <laughs> yeah. Again, to it, it each, is fine. Yeah, to each their own, yeah. The executive council's president, John Dickinson, was sympathetic to the soldiers' plights, having been an officer in the militia himself, or finally, that Pennsylvania refused to be ordered around by a federal body who was infringing on its state sovereignty. Mm-hmm. All of the above, pick a few, any of those could have applied. Now... I'm going to go into this story with a little more detail from the uh, House of Representatives government website about this specific, about the mutiny of 1783. During the two years between the Yorktown victory and the signing of the Treaty of Paris in September 1783, the Continental Army and Associated State Militias remained on duty far from their homes. Many troops awaited back pay. Finance Superintendent Robert Morris had advised the Continental Congress that it might take years to sort through the accounts of the national and state governments to settle all the claims and payments. Congress passed legislation allowing soldiers to resume civilian life to make a living while the government put its ledgers in order. Isn't that nice? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can go to work to make money doing this work as we still haven't paid you yet. To, al- to allay suspicion that Congress wanted to just forget the army, I don't know why they think about that, uh, George Washington announced that all furloughs would be voluntary. And, I mean, people trust GW, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like the one guy that everybody could be like, he's all right. Nobody, yeah. re- nobody really hated that I mean, man. Uh, who said that? Oh, George said that. I got gotcha. you. Yes. Okay. All right, fair point. Sure thing. All right, so John Dickinson represented both Pennsylvania and Delaware over the course of his time in the Continental Congress. As a delegate from Delaware, he signed the Constitution in 1787. These are just John Dickinson facts, so just kind of bear with that. Pennsylvania State, okay. Mil- yes, Pennsylvania State militias based in Lancaster and Philadelphia were among the unhappiest. They complained that Pennsylvania's state government, headed by an executive council, we've already went over its name, and its president, John Dickinson, were not paying them. News of the furlough spurred a protest for back pay and discharge dates. On June 20th, 1783, about 80 Lancaster officers and militia mutinied and marched toward Philadelphia, where they planned to join fellow soldiers. Dickinson and his council expected their arrival the next day, a Saturday, and prepared to negotiate with them. 
Dickinson did not worry about the Congress's safety since it was not meeting that weekend. He planned to meet with the mutiny leaders in his chambers on the floor above the hall of the Confederation Congress. But the specter of a mutiny alarmed the Congress, and rumors flew among the delegates who were still in town, including one that the soldiers might rob the Bank of North America if they were not paid. Oh, shit. Dang. Right? <clears throat> A hastily assembled committee, led by Alexander Hamilton of New York, demanded that Dickinson mobilize local militia to quash the insurrection. There's that word again. Dickinson demurred, noting that the protesters thus far had remained nonviolent. Interesting. So nonviolent protesters and Alexander Hamilton wants the militia on them immediately when they haven't even done anything. Hmm. Well, obviously. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. That's just what we do. Right. That's just what we do. Yeah. Well, when the Lancaster soldiers arrived at the Philadelphia barracks that night, Hamilton urged the mutineers to return home. But his overbrimming arrogance and condescension only fortified their resolve to confront Dickinson. The next morning, like I mentioned before in my brief summary, as many as 400 disgruntled Pennsylvania militiamen milled around the state house as their leaders met inside with Dickinson. Amid this tense situation, Hamilton convinced the president of the Confederation Congress, Elias Bodinot, Bodino, B-O-U-D-I-N-O-T, Bodino? Sure, Bodinot. Yeah, okay. Well, Elias, to call for an emergency meeting, some delegates wended their way past the soldiers, but too few braved the crowd to achieve a quorum to conduct business. So that kind of defeats the purposes of the whole gathering. Mm -hmm. The uh, delegates who made it assembled inside the hall nervously eyed the crowd. Oh, the, del the delegates who made it assembled inside the hall nervously eyed the crowd outside as Dickinson and the state council met with the delegation upstairs. So this is like they're upstairs in the top. Like this is peeking through like the windows shade, the, you know, the blinds right here. Mm -hmm. They still out there? Oh yeah, they're yeah. still out there. Oh, they're there. <laughs> like... Yeah, did they leave yet? Oh no, that guy's yeah. that guy's cleaning his gun. I think that guy's sticking a musket ball in it. Oh, well, that's huh. not. Hmm. But they're not violent like... yet, so yeah, it's yeah. fine. I mean, it takes like five minutes to load those things, so <laughs> yeah, at least we have time to take cover as they <laughs> as they blow giant holes in the walls. <laughs> the uh, The delegates who made it assembled inside the hall. I said that. I did that already. Um, yeah. Yep. Yeah, I did that. Okay. Continental mm -hmm. Army soldiers faced months with only the promise of pay from the Confederation Congress as the delegates struggled to find a method to secure and disperse the money from various state governments. I mean, there's no overarching federal body to mm -hmm. no organized federal response to pay all these soldiers. So there's no way to organize this stuff. So that is a problem. It is a new nation. But you know what's the good thing about this? Eventually, we get that all sorted out. Mm -hmm. Eventually, it's fine. We never have that problem again about getting people money when they need it, when they're in dire situations. It's all fine. Mm -hmm. it's, all, it's all good. Okay. Soldiers shook their fists and jeered when delegates peered out the windows, so they see them out those blinds. Like, oh, hey. Yeah, a good jeering. They'd... They need it every <laughs> once in a while. Yeah. It's like, oh, hey, James Madison, I see your eyeball up there. How you doing? Yeah. Now, this is the reason why I included this entire part. For starters, okay. it's the uh, 
government website, and it's not a bad documentation of this event. But this, here we go. In the afternoon, local tavern keepers, whenever they get involved in the story, it's always a good time. You know what they're going to do. In an effort to calm and cheer the soldiers, what do they do? What are we doing here? Get them, dr- get them drunk. Yeah, we gave them drinks. A tactic that unnerved Virginia delegate James Madison inside. Now they're pounding <laughs> beers. <laughs> yeah, the one uh, that was cleaning his gun, he's just double fisting beers now. Oh, my God. And somehow he's still holding the gun. He hasn't let that go yet. If you hmm. put, it's, if you, it's incredible, really. Yeah, I mean, I'm impressed, but like, if you put it down, I'd feel a little safer. Oh, God. Oh, good. The tavern keeper just handed him another one. He just said it right. another Great. gun. <laughs> cool. And where'd that, where'd that extra gun come from? Fun. Great. Mm-hmm. After three hours, the delegates left, making their way through a jostling and noisy crowd of rowdy soldiers. So they're drunk and distracted. They just kind of sneak out. Like, okay. <laughs> All right. Uh-huh. Well, that evening, a quorum of congressmen met at Bowdenot's or Bowdenot's residence. They directed General Washington to send loyal troops to Philadelphia and demanded that Pennsylvania's government ensure the safety of Congress. Otherwise, having been, quote, grossly insulted by the disorderly and menacing appearance of a body of armed soldiers, end quote, Congress would leave Philadelphia. That's, I mean... That's American soldiers deployed against American citizens slash soldiers on mm-hmm. American soil. Well... The next day, June 22nd, Hamilton's committee met with Dickinson and the executive council. Again, Dickinson resisted mobilizing the militia against the mutineers because, you know, let's just make it worse. Let's get guns, point, let's get more people with guns pointing guns at people who have guns. Yeah, I, I don't see a problem with it. Yeah, it seems it's good. like a double negative, right? Guns cancel out guns, so that's, that's just like true. That's yeah. true. Yeah, and these people who are alive cancel out the lives of these other people, and then no one's alive. Right. Yeah. And and then then the problem's gone. That's yeah. I mean, it's a good yeah, not a yeah, real clever, real entrepreneurial solution. It's math. It's just simple math. It's math. (laughs) Yeah. The math of a mutiny. Oh shit. That's that's intense. All right. So again, Dickinson had been making progress convincing the mutineers to return peacefully to their units. Amazing what just talking to them could do, giving them attention to their pleas, you know, instead of just ignoring them. Now, Bonat, shocked at Dickinson's lax attitude, announced that Congress would abandon Philadelphia and meet in Princeton, New Jersey, on June 26th. So they had enough of his talking. There was no shooting Mm -hmm. going on. They were bored. They didn't trust the situation, so they left. So the congressional delegates proceeded to the new capital in Princeton as best they could. But, I mean, it's, they didn't really give Princeton a heads up that this was going to become their new capital. So, latecomers discovered that all the town's lodgings were full. So, it's like a Mary and Joseph situation. They just, you know, hmm. had to have Congress out in the stable, you know, in the manger. <laughs> manger Congress uh-huh. is what that was. That's what that became. And in Philadelphia, officials restored order swiftly. Mutiny leaders fled, and the remaining soldiers apologized to the executive council. On the day the soldiers finally reported back to their units, President Dickinson scolded the repentant rabble while standing on a table outside his home. So once he calmed everybody down, as you do, he had a little shouting situation, and he took care of business. Now, mm-hmm. 
the crux of this matter is, did these soldiers ever get paid? No. I mean, great question. Couldn't really find that out. I'm assuming maybe, sort of. But I mean, this seems like a... The mutiny seemed like the crux of the story as opposed to the actual getting the money, which is what they wanted. I can only assume yeah. something got worked out or whatever. They got, you know what I mean? Who knows how much? But You I mean, think so because maybe the story would have continued a little bit? Right. Oh, yeah. Now they're mar- marching on Princeton. Oh, huh. that's a ways away. That's scary. All right. Yeah. Oh, and they've amassed 7,000 men. Great. Even better. Yeah. Yeah, because well, more people that haven't got paid keep hearing about it, and they're just like, oh, yeah, I need to get paid. Yeah, I didn't get paid. It was my check. I didn't get that check. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hamilton said it was in the mail. A lying piece of shit. What? <laughs> but I mean, everything about how soldiers got paid back then, let's be honest, sounds like a mess. But I can tell you that privates in 1776 earned $6 a month, plus a bounty at the end of their service. Six bucks seems cheap, but you have to take inflation into account, obviously. Mm-hmm. So so that would be $157.58 a month in today's money. So that's still not good. That's not good. That is not good. <laughs> that's not good at all. That'd be a real problem. Uh-huh. Not ideal. Uh, again, that's privates, you know, higher ranking officers or whatever, probably make more. But still, pretty shitty. Mm-hmm. Turns out freedom isn't free, but was pretty damn close. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Great deal for a barely put together Continental Congress, though. I mean, it was yeah. hard. It was hard for the Continental Congress to accomplish anything, really, under the Articles of Confederation. I mean, it wasn't the best system. They tried, but I mean, yeah, it was the it was a first attempt. Right, first draft, like anything, mm-hmm. you know. But before the Constitution, the federal government had called many cities its home, you know, besides Philadelphia and Princeton. So let's just, let's go through all these places that were once our nation's home, okay? Okay. All right, so from September 5th, 1774 to October 24th, 1774. So that's just like a month, but whatever. That was Philadelphia, a Carpenter's Hall. And then the Second Continental Congress was also in Philadelphia from 1770. Oh, so just... Get, they just when, moved buildings or something? Yeah, they moved to the Philadelphia State House. And that was, of course, the first Continental Congress, and they became a second Continental Congress. You know. Mm-hmm. But then um, from December 1776 to February 1777, they were at Baltimore and Henry Fight's house. So just probably a guy. Cool. Just a guy. Just a guy. Like, hey, we're going to hey. use your house for uh, Congress. Uh, yeah, can we, can we have a government here? All right, guys. I got work tomorrow. I mean, don't be up too late. Yeah, don't don't make a mess. Yeah, I gotta. Yeah, the wife won't let me hear the end of it if you guys make a mess as you're doing the government. <laughs> All right. So then, yep. from March from March 1777 to September 77, they were back at the Philadelphia State House. Then September uh, 1777, it says here literally one day. It was Lancaster, Pennsylvania, the courthouse. And then uh, 1777, September to June 27th, 1778, York, Pennsylvania, courthouse. So they're just jumping all over Pennsylvania. And then we moved from uh, July 1778 to 1781, uh, March, Philadelphia, College Hall, 
then the State House, and then Congress under the Articles of Confederation. We're at the Philly State House. Uh, then we're at Princeton. This is, you know, 1781 to 1783. We're at Philadelphia State House, and then we jump to Princeton, New Jersey, after, you know, we decided to abandon Philadelphia after the mutiny. Mm-hmm. Then we jump to Annapolis, Maryland from 80, 1783 to 1784. Then we go to Trenton, New Jersey. The French We're arms really tavern. moving around. It's all over the place. Right? They're hanging out in a tavern? Yeah. Yeah. The French arms tavern. Yeah. And then uh, January 11th, 1785 from to autumn. It just says autumn here. 1788, it was New York City Hall. But at the time, it was France's tavern. So New York City huh. Hall it was just a tavern? I wonder, is that when one of the congressmen beat the other one to death or something? When they were hanging out in a tavern? I don't know. I know they were attacked in the Capitol building. They, there's lots of fights, though. It's hard. <laughs> 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 they were less diplomatic and more, more, more I mean, slappy back then. It was it was a rougher world. Like just imagine, like I mean, you could get TB tomorrow, or like you, you could run over by, I don't know, man. You could run over by a horse. You could get ghosts in your blood. You could get ghosts in your blood and have to drain them out, and then mm-hmm. then die, or become a vampire like that TB stuff that we know now. We do mm-hmm. know now. Yes, absolutely. And I mean, you know, disease and. Barely anybody had functioning. It was safer to drink teeth. beer back then than water. Probably. Did we ever figure out the year? I think we figured out the year of that, didn't we? When that became when the the switch to water became a thing. <laughs> I, I I don't know. I mean, I forget. Yeah, I, I forget. All right, but relatively recently. Yeah, not as not as far along ago as you'd think. All right, but that mutiny of 1783 was one of the main reasons. The, uh, that led the federal government to realize it needed a permanent base of operations. Like you said, they're moving around. It couldn't, and also because it could not count on any individual state to maintain its security. Because they're basically like, yeah, what do you? Yeah, okay. Hey, no, just just pay them. Yeah, we got our sh- yeah we got our shit together. Just pay those guys. Yeah, your safety would have been fine if you just gave them money. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like an invading force from a different country. These are your own soldiers. All right. Well. In his Federalist number 43, because we're talking about some Federalist papers now, published January 23rd, 1788, James Madison, you know, from peeking through the blinds fame during the mutiny, and many, mm-hmm. many other things, as you, we all should know about American history, stated that the new federal government would need autonomy in a national capital to provide for its own maintenance and safety. Now, Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution permits the establishment of a district not exceeding 10 square miles as may by session of particular states and the acceptance of Congress become the seat of the government of the United States. Now, the Constitution didn't say where this capital should be. And if picking one was anything like the rest of America's founding and America's future, it would not be easy. Now, This would lead to the Compromise of 1790, which was essentially an arrangement made during a bunch of late-night clandestine dinners featuring Alexander Hamilton, James Madison, and Thomas Jefferson. Just some sneaky dinners. Right. And, like, nothing says sneaky. Let's not tell tell George. He can't know about this. we got to get a plan first before we bring it to him. He told us last time, don't waste my fucking time. (laughs) Yeah. 
It's like, you guys want me to deploy troops against troops? Get your shit together for a second. Come mm-hmm. on. Come on. So in TJ's own words, quote, it ended in Mr. Madison's acquiescence in a proposition that the question, i.e. assumption of state debts, should be again brought before the House by way of amendment from the Senate, that he would not vote for it, nor entirely withdraw his opposition, yet he would not be strenuous, but leave it to its fate. I mean, the way people used to talk is just exhausting. I'm just going to throw that out. Yeah. It's just... It was observed, I forget by which of them, that as the pill would be a bitter one to the southern states, something should be done to soothe them, and the removal of the seat of government to the Potomac was a just measure. Potomac. Why did I say Potomac? What an idiot. Potomac was a just measure, and at least it didn't... Potomac? Yeah. Potomac. (laughs) Yeah. Potomac was a just measure and would probably be a popular one with them and would be a proper one to follow the assumption. I mean, these compromises between North and Southern states, very beginning. I mean, obviously, there's a pretty infamous compromise that is fucking horrible. You know, that, you know, that, that three-fifths yeah, compromise, yeah. that's a pretty shitty one. That's pretty much yeah, it. It's, it's, not, it's not, a, not the best compromise. Yeah, easily, you know, could probably take the, take the cake as far as shitty things they decided just to, just to kick that can down the road. The federal government would pay attention to the state's war debts, and in return... Hamilton would allow the nation's capital to be based in the South, as the other previous capitals had been in the North. Under the Constitution, New York had served as a capital. Obviously, we talked about it. But it was decided in that compromise that the new capital should be along the Virginia and Maryland border. Out of the compromise came the Residence and Funding, or Assumption Acts. Now, I know, all these acts are pretty fucking exciting, I understand. They're pretty mm-hmm. They're pretty riveting, you know, as you yeah, I. I am on the edge of my seat. Absolutely. Edge of your sheet. sheet? Edge of your seat. Yep. That too. Things. Yeah, edge of your sheet. Be careful. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Funding Act takes care of the money thing, and that Residence Act established where and when a capital would be established. Now, President George Washington would be giving authority to select the exact spot, because that's easier than just voting. George, we all agree. We give you this power. Please pick, mm-hmm. a, please pick a spot. And the city was founded in 1791. And by the turn of the century, Congress passed the District of Columbia Organic Act of 1801, taking its name from the first president and the female personification of America and a poetic name for the fresh nation, the goddess Columbia, and just Columbia in general. Washington, D.C., or District of Columbia, was born. Mm-hmm. Now, this city is rife with history that you wouldn't believe and has been the staging ground for so many important decisions that have shaped the America we know today and continues to do so for better or for worse. Now, that kind of history, mm-hmm. there's got to be some kind of energy to it, wouldn't you think? Like it's a, if we're going to talk up, if we're going to talk science facts here, that's, yes. it's a pinpoint for energy for forces that mm-hmm. decide the fate of, you know, sometimes the rest of the the known world. Yeah. Fact. Yeah. So much unfinished business. There would be plenty to keep someone tethered to the physical world well past their prime. The walls between the natural and supernatural realms may be even thinner here, making such a thing even more likely to happen. Now, what am I talking about? What am I getting at here? 
the souls of deceased humans, legends of American history that still walk the halls of Capitol Hill. Mm-hmm. Now, I could talk about that. You may know some of those spirits that have that already do that. You know, you may already know things that haunt that beautiful. Yeah, I've heard of a few. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a whole thing. Absolutely, mm-hmm. but we're not talking about humans anymore. Not really. We're okay. talking. We're talking about something else. Okay. During the Capitol's early history, it was overrun with rats. Now, good. One could argue it still is. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. But we won't get into that either right now. Mm-hmm. Although you know, I did. When I was putting this together, I did just picture, well, I didn't just picture it. I pictured it when I wrote this, a massive entwined rat king spinning violently, bouncing off the walls of the White House. Yeah. Think about yep. yeah, that horror show, and I kind of want to vomit yeah. thinking about that. The rat king. Think about like like 12 foot long rats sucking, stuck with their tails together, like bouncing off the walls of the White House and spinning around. Yeah, that sounds terrible. Sounds pretty good. Yeah. Now, the rats, of course, first came over on the ships of early colonists. You know, and then, of course, every other boat that would follow. So later colonists, the rats were hitching a ride. Now, when the first American Civil War started, it was still kind of a podunk, unsettled, backwater town. Nothing really to, you know, you know, go, you know, run home about. Nothing too exciting. Wasn't it pretty swampy? It was. I mean, it's a it's a swamp. Again, yeah. you could argue it still is. Oh, it is still a swamp. Mm-hmm. There's, just bu- there's just buildings on it, but I mean, it's still yeah. it's still very swampy. Yep. Now, during that first, if we accept this as the first American Civil War, thousands of Union soldiers descended on the town to defend it against the oncoming Confederate forces. They were pretty pumped about making it their new capital if they could get a hold of it. So, you know, as, as you do. Um, and I mean, of course, at this okay. time, the Capitol's still under construction. You know, like if you've seen pictures of it back then, it's still, I mean, it's just not done. Right. Which is a nice metaphor for America. So, yeah, not nope, not done yet. Got to fight each other first. We ain't done. Mm-hmm. So, but I mean, toward the end of the war, the population of this backwater city exploded. And then housings would rise up and people started living there. And, of course... More people that lived there, more houses got built, more basements get dug and stuff. So more dwelling spaces for rats. It made the rat problem worse. It would also, you, you would not be shocked to find uh, many open trash pits stationed all over the city. So, you know, no garbage, just throw your trash in a pit and rats like yeah, that. Yeah, I don't really know what people did with their trash back then. That's a thing that's overlooked quite a bit. Right, and all the whor- picked up the trash. I don't think anybody did. Sometimes you just, th- I read stories like, well, like cities like New York and stuff, like they just throw it in the street. So you just have like trash piles in the street. I mean, I just imagine everything smelling horrible and just being, I mean, I can't imagine. It's amazing anybody lived through that nonsense, but we clearly yeah. did. I mean, there's probably less trash like we think of it now. Like right. There's no cans on the side of the street or no. anything. But... Just like rotted, like I think it's like rotted in food probably or just like whatever. Yeah. You know, yeah, things things that rats like, and of course, keep in mind like everybody's using horses and they're shitting everywhere. So you've got trash and shit all over the street. Yeah, it probably smells awesome. And back then, people hung out in the street because it wasn't the car's domain yet. So you'd have people congregating in the street around the shit and just fucking trash. And what a great place to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And so much like the humans who had stationed their capital there, the rats had found a good home. Now, if we jump ahead real quick, just for some basic trivia, in modern times, I mean, Washington, Washington D.C. is still a rat hole. It's still terrible. Okay. So terrible, in fact, that only two um, cities top it as being more rat infested. We play some guessing games here just because that's what we're going to do right now. If you were to guess, um, New York is not one of them. No. Really? Not not New York. No. I mean, it's the the one time I went, I saw rats everywhere. I mean, I'm not saying it's not top five or number four. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's just, evidently it's just not the top two. Really? Yeah. I'm going to guess somewhere south then. Yeah. What do you think? I'm going to go with Nolens. Ooh, not a bad one. But uh-huh. all, all, um, everything I found seems to indicate that Los Angeles and Chicago beat really? Washington, D.C. And I should have looked to see which one was number one. I was more worried about what was number three, L.A. or Chicago. But, I mean, I, there's a, one of, you know, many people, you know, one of the friends who used to live in the in Chicago, like he walked outside of his apartment and like stepped on a rat. Mm-hmm. And of course, well, that's like when I was in when I was in New York, you'd be did, sitting out on the front porch and they'd like run across your feet. Ah, yeah, cool. So I've never had that in Chicago. Right, so. that's true. Interesting. These fuck god, goddamn rats. Well, let's jump back in time, back to you know. Not modern, you know, 1800s America, Civil War time. Mm-hmm. What happens when rats reign supreme? We need... They need make f- a rat king. They Oh, my God. And then they... <laughs> now, <laughs> now I imagine a rat king storming the White House as, like, you know, the president Mar- the, uh, the president's theme song. I'll call it his theme song. Plays overhead mm-hmm. as the rats walk in. It's just like... Bah, bah, bah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yikes. Yikes. All right. So, yeah, what happens when rats reign supreme? I'm going to read you some quotes. It's probably the most common of all the ghost stories in the Capitol. Partly because of the physical evidence, says Steve Livingood, the chief tour guide to the U.S. Capitol Historical Society. From an Atlas Obscura article. The story... last name. Right? Livingood. That's... Oh, fuck. I didn't think... (laughs) Yeah. Steve Livingood. I feel like he plays guitar. I feel like he's just horribly depressed all the time, and people are like, what's wrong with living good? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> his, his whole name is just an ironic twist on his his depressed life. Yeah, it really shaped his whole life. He's like, man, I'm, I just gotta be living good. Now. Oh, what? Yeah. Nah, I don't got nothing. Okay. I, mean, I can keep I can keep going on living good here. I mean, you know? if you, I mean, that's we're gonna do, we're gonna hang out with him for a little bit. So, the story probably goes back to the post Civil War era. The main thing is that the people who would see it particularly were the night watchmen. Says living good. An 1898 article of the Philadelphia Press was aghast in its reporting about something that had returned, quote, after many years of absence. This is a truly horrific apparition. And then I can jump to a 1935 Washington Post article. So just bear with me. I got to get this on my phone. Okay. I'm going to read this from 1935 Washington Post. 
One day, for instance, a Capitol policeman whose integrity is better than his marksmanship reported taking pot shot at a big black, I'm going to say creature, and I'll tell you what we're dealing with here after we get going. Okay. That seemed to grow as I looked at it. From the description, the creature appeared to have the eyes of Eddie Cantor and the generous proportions of Mae West. I don't know. You could Google Mae West to see how her proportions are if you feel so inclined. Plus the the disposition of Bel... They say Belga Lugosi. They just probably spelled his name wrong. Mm-hmm. When I shot at the critter, it jumped right over my head, explained the guardian of capital traditions and decorum. When first seen, the creature. Hold on. When first seen, I'm paraphrasing some of this stuff because I want to reveal what this creature is after I read it. When first seen, the creature just looks kind of ordinary but rapidly assumes gigantic size before the chilled observer has time to say Joe Robinson or Arthur Robinson, depending on his particular political affiliation. For the novelty of the thing, the eyes of this elephantine alley trooper are supposed to glow with all the hue and ferocity of the headlights of an engine entering one of Washington's notoriously dark alleys. Hmm. All right. So I skipped over a few descriptive words because I would have gave it away. So what is this thing? The Rat King? Well, no. The 1898 <laughs> Philadelphia Press article had it called. I took it out of the uh, out of that article. Mm-hmm. Oh, I guess, though, yeah, there was a Philadelphia Press article that called it a, quote, feline spook of the Capitol. And now I left it out, what they called it in the 1935 article, because it's not often I hear of newspapers constructing this term, and I wanted to draw attention to it removed from its description, as it's mildly distracting. The 1935 article called this apparition a demon cat. A demon cat. A demon cat. Okay. It is the demon cat. Of Washington, D.C. Yeah, so a fuller account um, from the Philadelphia Press is presented by an esoterics article I have here. And October 2nd, 1898, the Philadelphia Press reported the recent disappearance. Wow, sorry. Reported the recent reappearance of the demon cat, who presumably had been catnapping since his original sighting in 1862. Are you ready for this? All right. Mm -hmm. The demon cat is said to have made its appearance again after many years of absence. This is a truly horrific apparition, and no viewless specter such as the invisible Grimalkin that even now trips people up on the stairs of the old mansion which President Madison and his wife, Dolly, occupied at the corner of 18th Street and New York Avenue after the White House was burned by the British. That indeed is altogether another story, but the feline spook of the Capitol possesses attributes much more remarkable inasmuch as it has the appearance of an ordinary pussy when first seen and presently swells up to the size of an elephant before the eyes of the terrified observer. The demon, mm-hmm. the demon cat, in whose regard testimony of the utmost seeming authenticity... See, what a mouthful, man. The demon cat, Mm -hmm. in whose regard testimony of the utmost seeming authenticity was put on record 35 years ago, has been missing since 1862. One of the watchmen on duty in the building shot at it then, 
and it disappeared. Since then, until now, nothing more has been heard of it. Though, one or two of the older policemen of the Capitol Force still speak of the spectral animal in odd whispers. Now, sometimes Capitol Police accounts of the creature find their way into the congressional record. So this is exciting. Okay. Would you like to hear about a mm -hmm. demon, demon cat as part of the congressional record? Of course I do. Oh, yeah. I figured you might. This was a particular problem late at night after the building had closed and the members of visitors and visitors had departed. Perhaps this situation accounts for a variety of ghost stories that have been told down through the years. One of the oldest stories, one of the oldest stories, is recounted by newsman John Alexander in his book of Washington Ghost Tales. It concerns the infamous denizen of the capital's lower reaches, Demon Cat. As the story goes, Demon Cat always awaits, and here we've reached the point where he's just called, not the Demon Cat, it's Demon Cat. Just Demon Cat. Demon Cat. D.C. Interesting. Uh-huh. Right? Very interesting. Washington, D.C. Washington, uh -huh. Washington Demon Cat. Yep. And people say there's no Illuminati. Come on. <laughs> Demon Cat always waits until its victim is alone. The animal's prey are generally members of the Capitol Police Force, and it's a, cop, it's a cat who just wants to harass cops. Yeah. Interesting. One victim told of encountering the infamous cat on a winter's eve. As it walked toward the policeman, the cat began to swell. The guard felt paralyzed as he stared into the glowing, piercing eyes that came closer and closer and grew larger and larger. The animal swelled to the size of a giant tiger, yet never lost its unmistakable cat-like form. Its purring changed to a ferocious snarl. There was a deafening roar as the monstrous animal leaped with claws extended toward its victim. The guard couldn't move. His feet seemed nailed to the floor. He covered his face with his arms as the giant animal seemed just inches away from landing on him. He screamed! Nothing happened. The demon cat vanished into thin air as the man screamed. The trembling guard stood alone, the corridor deserted. The silence pierced only by his breathing. His limp body was covered in a cold, clammy sweat. He felt drained. The narrow marble hallway now reminded him of a tomb. The guard shuddered, tried to pull himself together, and headed back to his desk. For some reason, he just didn't feel like finishing his rounds. Hmm. Can't imagine why. This grisly feline was blamed for an elderly guard's fatal heart attack. So the cat killed somebody? Yeah. yeah. And the cat is reputed to appear only on the eve of a national tragedy or upon the changing of presidential administrations. Interesting. Looks like that was put into the congressional record in 1981. Now... Cats were brought into D.C. to kill the overwhelming rodent infestation in the city's basements, crawl spaces, and crypts. One notable crypt intended for a former president, George Washington to be exact. They were going to bury him under the Capitol building. Of those feisty furballs, one apparently refused to leave. Even in death? I don't know. Perhaps he even lobbied the devil to do so. I just like that visual. Mm -hmm. Of a cat like, hey devil. Send me back to D.C. 
Yeah. I was like, I wasn't all right. done. I wasn't done harassing people. No. One origin of this haunted hairball can be dated back to a specific cat in the capital that a guard shot at during the 1860s. Again, in that it might be the same one from that account. He didn't hit it, but did this cat come back as an apparition to haunt the night watchman of the capital who tried or maybe succeeded in murdering it? Hmm. Maybe I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. Now, you can even see its footprints on the small Senate Rotunda. Or at least that's what people claim. A a gas leak cracked the floor and new concrete was placed, you know, poured in to fix it. And well, something walked through it. Now, sure, we could just say like a mortal cat walked through it and left cat footprints. That's no fun. That's boring. But it may be more fun to imagine a supernatural beast imprinting them. Hell yeah. With the magnitude of its presence. But we may never know. Who is to say? Hmm. Seems pretty ambiguous to me. Or maybe the area was already haunted and our demon cat, when he was a corporeal being, maybe he walked across it and then, or even if he was just a ghost, Maybe maybe that's because ghosts can attach themselves to physical objects, so perhaps those footprints are what tethers him to the capital. Could be. I don't know. Who's to say? It has been said that the cat reappears on the eve of presidential elections, especially transitional ones, like a four-pawed Chris Kringle visiting every election eve, waiting to see whether the victor is naughty or nice. And again, he has also allegedly appeared before Abraham Lincoln's assassination, JFK's assassination, Theodore Roosevelt's death, the stock market crash of 29, Pearl Harbor, Ronald Reagan's near assassination, and the uh, terrorist attacks that took place on September 11th, 2001. Wait, so where does this thing turn up at? Is it's it always just, in D.C.? It's always I see it on, on mm, the same day? Yeah, they just see it in <clears throat> D.C. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Allegedly. Now, I kind of addressed the most severe path our world could go in the beginning of this episode. Mm-hmm. So considering the current state of this world, I mean, you'd think, is he watching over us now? Perhaps somewhere up on high, on the Capitol Dome itself, perched below the statue of the city's namesake? I mean, if anything's going to get his attention, I think we're living it. Yeah. I, th- I think this would be on his this would be on his radar. Mm-hmm. Most likely. And also, another sign people claim is a sign of the cat. They're, the initials DC are scratched into the floor elsewhere. Capitol Hill. Now, we kind of got into this. Does the DC stand for District of Columbia? Or Demon Cat? D- obviously Demon Cat. Obviously Demon Cat. Some, at some point, it got changed, and nobody really knows. No, it's just... Washington Demon Cat. Washington Demon Cat. The ultimate protector of American freedom. <laughs> well, one thing is for certain. If, this is a big if, and I don't think I fall into this category, but if you don't want to believe in the Demon Cat 
and all this literal concrete evidence, what could be responsible for the story catching on in the first place? Who or what is to blame for the creation and perpetuation of this legend? What what could make people think they saw a giant demon cat? Not just any people. What would think what would make you think capital law enforcement officers might be seeing a giant demon cat coming at them as they work their night shifts? Any 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 guesses as what could could make them see? Oh, I got I got a few ideas. Yeah. What immediately jumps to mind is they're inebriated. Alcohol. They're wasted. Yeah. yeah. The night watchmen usually went about their business shit-faced, or at the very least, drunk. Yeah. So, like... Sure, why not? Yeah, it's just... Yeah, I just find a walk around the Capitol. do 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 Hold What is that? Better stop in every bar and, you know, make sure everything's up to par. Yeah, hey, Carl, you on duty? Yep. Give me two. All right. <laughs> okay. All right. I mean, you know how much people drank back then. We can use our imagination here. Now, now your guy, living good, from the Atlas Obscure article I mentioned before, talked about how these night watchmen got their jobs through nepotism. Oh, interesting. Hmm. Uh, nothing sounds corrupt about this police force at all. That's mm, no, that, yeah, that, no. That, that swerved into being kind of topical, too. Interesting. Being related to some senator or whatever. So, again... They were never disciplined for their irresponsible behavior. What a shock. <laughs> huh. Crazy. Or what if, nope, Carl thought he saw a demon cat. We did our internal investigations and Carl saw a demon cat. Because they would never admit <laughs> he didn't see a demon cat. So yeah, yeah. yeah, he saw it. Yeah, we decided, yeah. And again, if we believe these stories, they're just randomly shooting at imaginary or... They're just drunkenly shooting at cats in alleys and stuff. Right. It was a no. Did you just shoot at that cat? It was a demon. <laughs> it got so big, you fell over and almost landed oh my on it. God. And that was uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And that was the best they could come up with. Was like, no, I wasn't shooting at a normal cat. It was a demon cat. Oh. All right. Yeah, you're fine. You're in the clear. All right. I mean, sometimes these guys would pass out and wake up to being licked by cats. And, of course, in their current state, this would make their experiences seem larger than life. You know, there's a cat in your face. It looks giant. You're wasted. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a cat licking the booze off you or maybe licking up your vomit that's next to you. That's, you know. Huh. Well, there's Officer Carl Johnson. Covered, mm-hmm. covered in vomit, surrounded by cats. What a crazy guy. What a crazy life. <laughs> the, the beer it attacked me. I had to. <laughs> oh, yeah, I had to. I mean, I, the beer fell out from the ceiling. I had to catch it with my mouth. <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't want it to mess up the floor. I didn't want to get in all the trash that's piled on the street. Yeah, that would have been <laughs> nasty. Yeah, I had to. At least I can put it in my body. Then I'll take it to the outhouse later. All right. No, that guy's, you know, that guy's just pissed. <laughs> that guy's just pissing in the street. You know, that's what he's doing. He's just like, hey, Carl, what's going on? Just pissing, saw a demon cat. Of course he did. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, just a normal day. And then Carl's like, good night, Mr. President. It's like, God damn it, Carl. You talk to the president like this? 
All right. So some legends even said that the demon cat can grow as large as a giant cat, like the tiger we talked about, and then explode. Like in like, viscera like, and gore? Yeah, or, <laughs> I mean, that would be intense. I guess this into the ether. Yeah, right? Now he's covered in vomit, piss, and blood and guts. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> maybe that's what does happen. Because they oh, no. drunkenly oh, shoot at it oh, and no. it, it explode. The giant cat yeah, exploded. It, got, it kept getting bigger and bigger and then it exploded. As it, as it runs towards him just to be a nice little kitty, <laughs> he pulls out his gun and blows it apart. Oh my God. Yeah. It was a demon. Uh, I got him. Killed the, oh, wow, it was a demon cat. I didn't, I didn't know there, were, there must be silver bullets in this gun or something. I don't know. <laughs> what? Now, some people even claim that the demon cat has scared people to death. But some people, like the guy given who they claim the heart attack was the cause of the demon. Imagine, imagine like you, you tell this guy's wife that he had a heart attack. What did it, demon cat? What? <laughs> what are you guys doing over there? <laughs> I don't know. Just drinking, hanging out. Right. Some also say the cat followed them to their homes. So imagine just a little tabby cat like following a guy as he walks home. Get away from me! It's stalking me. Meow. Meow. <laughs> <laughs> now. We've talked a lot about dogs on this show. We actually have a lot. It's kind of crazy, but dogs well, dogs are spooky. Okay. And they have well, they have connections to the underworld, and they have you know mm-hmm. potential powers. Well, and you know allusions to death and spooky stuff. But what about cats? Haven't done that yet. Cats have a long and storied history with their connections to the paranormal that we haven't even cracked open. We mm-hmm. have we haven't even cracked open cats. And we haven't even cracked open the haunted history of our capital. But we're going to. Mm-hmm. Just not tonight. Yeah, we'll get there. We will get there. But yeah, what kind of things lie ahead for us when it comes to cats? Well, I had found this article, so I won't read or summarize it, but I will tell you where I found it, and I will tell you what the article is called. So it came from this website called allaboutcats.com. So... Get excited about that. And the tit- I'm very excited about that. And the title of this article is Can Cats See Ghosts? Good. Can they? Yep. Can they see angels? Can they see demons? What if the cat is a demon? What if the cat's an angel? Can a cat angel see a cat demon? And can a normal cat watch the battle? Cats do watch weird things, like stare at walls and shit. Uh-huh. Cats. Hmm. So, yes, that is the story of the demon cat of Washington, D.C., and how we ended up having our capital situated in the area it is situated in. It was demon cats Was swamp first. Washington demon cat. Demon cat swamp. But yeah, remember how he started the story with a... Militia mutiny and yeah. the uh, the potential for a second American Civil War. Mm-hmm. Well, well. D.C. is a pretty haunted place with a lot of cool stories to talk about. So hopefully we get to address them before that second American Civil War starts. That's me. Yeah, I hope so. That'd be nice. <laughs> That'd be real fucking cool. I mean, somebody has to be seeing this demon cat. Mm-hmm. He's around. 
But then again, a lot of, I mean, the quarantine though, shit, he's not, not as many people are going to be out and about. Yeah. That's, well, that's true too. He's out just dining on rats. Yeah. Ripping the corpses. I'd like to imagine he's in the white house harassing a certain individual who calls that place his home. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, I saw the cat. Did you see that cat? No, Mr. President, we didn't see the cat. Excuse me. <laughs> he's following me. Yeah. He tries to throw out like a, one of his Diet Cokes at it or whatever. Get out of here. He's just smashing walls. <laughs> his little temper tantrums. You know. What are you doing? Yeah, Mr. President, what are you doing? I saw a cat. Okay. I think it was a demon. Ah. And if I, I mean, if there was a tweet just about a demon cat, I would not be shocked. 3 a.m., the witching hour, the cat. Cat's coming after <laughs> me. It's coming. There's no escape. Huh. Sad. Like, all right. <laughs> That's enough. That's enough out of you. But yeah, the demon cat of Washington, D.C. It's a cool cat. I like to imagine him walking mm-hmm. the halls of Congress and being a cool demon cat. Yeah. I like to imagine him. Growing to massive sizes and battling hellhounds. That'd be a cool thing to imagine. That would be cool. Because a cat versus a w- dog. Wait, would they not be on the same side, though? If demon cat, hellhounds, you know, they should be aligned, right? You'd think so. That's true. Unless there's some territorial shit or I don't know. I mean. Or maybe some, some rank issues. I think so. I think the demon cat would rank a little bit higher than a hellhound. Yeah, I mean, because if you... If you go with uh, all sorts of stuff, like witches, familiars, or cats, like right in some witch stories, like the witch would take the form of a black cat when it was out and about. So hellhounds, you know, are just hell beasts. Right. So if it's a demon cat, it could potentially be a witch. Which is even cooler. Which is like, what, like, I mean, there's so many different ways you can go with witches, like. Right. Like a bride of Satan, though. Like, don't isn't that what some of them are supposed supposedly? Supposedly, yeah. Part of part of Satan's, uh, you know, his little polygamous. I mean, hell's a wild place. So, yeah, one of his many many wives. And then, so just imagining an ancient witch stalking the halls of Congress. I mean, that might help explain. I mean, you know that. I mean, come on. Let's be honest. That place has got to be a portal to hell. I mean, that's got to be the walls are real thin there. You know they have to be. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, there's a lot of water there, right? That goes back to our, our ghost portals. Holy shit. <laughs> Washington, D.C. Yeah. is a ghost portal? God damn it. There's a mental note for that. Washington, <laughs> D.C. as a ghost portal. And then just imagine... And, like, a, and that is a scientific fact. Scientific fact. Real mm-hmm. science facts, which is what we love to provide here in the Weird and Fear podcast. It's solely what we provide. So picture like one of the swamps in D.C. or just the Potomac. And then like like zombie corpses just coming out of the river to take over the city. And then like demons are erupting from it. And like that's fucking wild. That's cool. I'm excited about mm-hmm. that. Maybe that's the next Civil War. It's us versus all the undead and demons. If they possessed like half of Congress, would we even know? <laughs> no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just, just jab, just, just poke him a little bit, cause that's, that's, <laughs> just give him a little poke, you guys. Right? Maybe mm-hmm. if I, if I, if I'm by a senator, I'll just like accidentally spill holy water on him and see what happens. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, oh. sir. And he's like, <sighs> oh, don't, 
<laughs> oh. His eyes get all, his pupil gets all big and black, and he. Oh, that's yeah. good. But yeah, if you uh, if you've got stories about ghost portals and Washington D.C. ghost stories. Um, email us at weirdandfreepodcast at gmail.com you can contact us on all the social medias you know where to find us Instagram, Facebook, Patreon you can jump on there to listen to Behind the Veil where our conversation continues our musings that we used to not record after the episodes that we're talking about um, we're starting to record them now so they're up there mm-hmm. you can do that mm-hmm. and support the show at varying tiers more tiers to follow but uh, yep. check out that We're in Fear it'll be on there yep. and some other goodies trying to keep Trying to keep everything ad-free if possible. Absolutely. As long as possible. Yep. Trying to uh, keep the, uh, yeah, you know, put the choice in the free market as far as capitalism goes. Yep. You know, your choice. Absolutely. Appreciate whatever you do. But, uh, yeah, that was the Demon Cat, and we're staying spooky. Staying spooky.